0: Uh, Ruth chapter 3, before we read it, um, the the title of this message today is The Romance of Redemption. Because what we see is in chapter 2, Ruth and Boaz, they meet, they start to interact, and there's like a little flicker of a flame. But in chapter 3, it starts to like hit high gear really quick. And as I was reading chapter 3 and thinking about, okay, this is the start of a relationship. sort the start of this romantic relationship. It made me think about the start of my relationship with my wife. And I just want to say I'm taking a huge risk to my reputation by sharing this story with you this morning. And uh, because of spoiler alert, she is my wife. Feel free to laugh at any of this at my expense. But as I thought about us uh, and the start of our relationship, I, I wish I could say it was an epic start, that it was love at first sight. And when I saw my wife, we just locked eyes and we fell in love. But the reality is, according to my wife, we met like multiple times before I ever remembered who she was and, uh, and let me just say, um, if you're here and I've met you multiple times on Sunday morning first, I'm sorry if I don't remember you, but you're in good company because uh, my wife was in the same boat. And so I, I did not remember meeting her multiple times. And then finally, when I did uh, remember meeting her, I got her AOL chat name. Yeah, the chat name, because that was like the thing to do at that time. Uh, and, and sadly, my wife held on to those conversations through AOL chat need to burn those at some point uh, because they're just embarrassing. But there's a little chat, and I got her a phone number through uh, AOL chat. And so I called her up. And the first time I called her up, I called her by the wrong name. Um, Yeah, I called her Lauren instead of Lori. um, And so don't call her Lauren. Her name is Lori. I I, I definitely know that now for sure. And uh, so she, in that moment, still didn't hang up on, on the phone with me. She still talked to me, which I'm I'm very grateful for, Um, and and even before that, uh, apparently, we we were part of Campus Crusade for Christ, and there was a Valentine's Day meal, and I gave her a rose that night. I don't remember doing that either. I mean, it's bad, guys. It was really bad, and so I say to some of the single people in the room, hopefully that's an encouragement to you, okay? And uh, for some of us that are married now, just be thankful um, for our spouse. It's a great blessing. Um, and as I'm, I'm thinking about all these things, I'm like, how in the world? I mean, some of you are probably thinking, how in the world is this guy married? How in the world is he married to this woman or married at all? That she, this, is a, this is a mess. And there's two things, two answers I would give to that. One is grace. and Grace upon grace upon grace from God and grace from my wife uh, that she would give me a second, a third, a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chance. And, uh, and, the, and the other thing is Redemption. Okay, so when I finally got to the point where I could take my uh, wife out on our first date, I redeemed, right? Like, I made up for some of my past mistakes. Uh, One, I remembered her name, and I said it right. Uh, You know, I went to go pick her up at her dorm, opened the door for her, got her in there, took her out to eat, paid for the meal. Like, all these things to treat, to love, and to care for her. And I'd actually got tickets for a movie that night. already pre-got them. I was ready to go. I was planned, prepared. And we actually, instead of going to see a movie, sat outside this little uh, like pond or lake or whatever, and we just talked kind of face-to-face for three-plus hours, all right? And so it was a sweet night. So with God's grace and my wife's grace and a little bit of redemption mixed all in there, it brought about this, this great marriage, which I'm very thankful for, my wife, and what all God has done through all that. Now, I say all that to you because in Ruth chapter 3, you're going to see Ruth do some pretty Sketchy stuff uh, at the start of this relationship. Like you're gonna, when we read this, um, you're gonna look and be like, Ruth, what are you doing? Like this is, this is really sketchy, um, risque things that you're doing. And by God's grace, and honestly, Boaz's grace, um, God through this romance brought redemption. And so that's what I want us to see today. Uh, And what how I want to unpack this is, I want us to, to notice two marks of the Redeemer, and then two implications for the redeemed. Okay, so as we read this, that's what we're going to see. Two marks of the Redeemer, and then two, mar- uh, two implications or applications for the redeemed. So let's read, starting in verse 1, and we'll actually read the whole chapter. It says this, Then Naomi said to her mother-in-law, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young woman you were with? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, then put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. That's risque. That's weird. Honestly, um, you're you're gonna come to a guy who's been feasting and drinking, and he's laying down to sleep, and then you're gonna sneak in at midnight in his bed bedroom. Like um, you, you read this, and almost you're thinking, "Is this this the Bible? Like, what are we what are we reading right now? What is this? Uh, this is risque stuff, which I'll explain more in a second. What's going on there? But verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law commanded. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down in the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uh, softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. At midnight, the man was startled when he turned over and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. Yeah, of course you'd be startled. I mean, anybody that goes to sleep and you wake up and there's somebody at your feet, that's a startling moment, right? In verse 9, he asks a question all of us would have asked. Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after younger men, which, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you have asked. For all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Which, once again, this is a little humorous to me. And verse 14, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And here it is placed in the Bible, which we will read for all of eternity, that she came to the threshing floor. Okay, a little humorous there. Verse 5, and he said, bring the garment that you are wearing, hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put them on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she asked, how did it fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so two marks of the Redeemer before we get to two applications for the redeemed. The first mark of the Redeemer is this, that he protects the Beloved. The Redeemer provides protection for the beloved. Now, as we start to unpack this passage, like I said, I want to give some clarity to the risque stuff that's going on at the very beginning here. But first is that we got to understand that the Bible at times uh, describes things. It gives a description of something, but it's not a prescription, right? It's not telling us to do these certain things or to act in these certain ways. It's just telling us this is a fact of history, this is something that happened. And this right here, what Ruth does in this moment is... Uh, it is descriptive and not prescriptive for us, okay? Um, another way to think about it is in the New Testament, we hear that Judas, after he uh, betrays Christ, he goes and he hangs himself, which is it's a tragedy. It's a sad moment. That is a description of what happened, not a prescription, right? Like, we don't do those things. Same idea here in Ruth 2, okay? So, We read this, we talk about this, this is not a prescription if you're a single young lady to try these things out. It's not recommended from me nor God's word, okay? But her mother-in-law tells Ruth, this is what you should do, okay? You need uh, to clean yourself up a little bit. You need to wash and anoint yourself, verse 3 says. (laughs) Basically what that means is clean yourself up and look attractive as possible because all Boaz has seen you is in the working field where you're hot and you're sweating, you're in your work clothes and your yoga pants, okay? So put those aside for a minute and clean yourself up, and then go to him. But don't go immediately to him. Go to the party early, hang out, wait until he's talked to his friends, he's eaten, he's had something to drink, and when he goes to lay down for the night and rest, it says on the grain, which is what they would do to kind of make sure nobody would steal the grain that they had reaped, then sneak up on him, lift up the cover of his feet, and then lay there. Okay, this is weird, okay? One thing is clear that we know about this, one thing for sure, and then one thing that is not clear to us. The one thing that is clear is that Naomi is telling her to do this in hopes that Boaz would redeem and marry her. That we know for sure. This is Naomi's plan in order to bring about redemption and marriage in Ruth's life. Now what is not clear is why she thought this would be a good idea to go about it this way. Why not a conversation in the middle of the day with Boaz? Instead, she chooses a highly suggestive and risky midnight rendezvous to have this conversation. I don't, we don't know why Naomi chose to do this. I don't know if there was an indifference in Naomi's heart um, or, or whether she didn't even think about. Man, Boaz is a worthy guy. If you go in and have anything that's risque, maybe he'll be angry and send you away. Like, is that going through Naomi's mind? We don't know. I, I, probably not, or she wouldn't even have recommended this option. Or is she just oblivious to the whole temptation that could possibly be there at midnight as a man has celebrated and feasted, and the stars are above your head and it's a beautiful moment. Like Maybe she's not even thinking about that in that moment. We don't know. Or maybe Naomi is just so confident that, okay, Boaz is a worthy, righteous redeemer. Nothing impure is going to happen because Ruth is also a worthy woman. You know, the Bible tells us that. So they can do this and nothing's going to happen. We don't know, but regardless, it's probably not the best strategy to go about in this moment. This is a foolish thing, honestly, that that Ruth is doing in this moment. But she does it, and then as he wakes up and sees her lying there after she's crept in softly like a ninja into that moment, she's done everything that her mother-in-law has said to this point. And then when he looks at her and says, who are you, and basically what do you want, Then she changes it up, and she says something that's really important. Because when she's there and this moment happens, there should be a a little bit of tension in our heart of like, what is Boaz going to say in this moment? What is Boaz going to do? And Ruth looks at him and says, Would you spread your wings over your servant, for you are my Redeemer? That's her request in this moment. Would you spread your wings over your servant and redeem her? the reason why this is important is because if you look back in chapter two or if you remember last week, Boaz uses this language as he prays over Ruth as he sees her for the first time. And he says, may God bless you and may you find rest under the shadow of his wings. And what Ruth does in this moment In this interaction, as he's like, Who are you and what do you want? She references back to what we find time wise is about six to eight weeks difference. And says, Six to eight weeks ago, you prayed this prayer. You said, May the Lord be gracious to you and let his wings be over you. And now she looks at Boaz and says, Would you be the answer to your prayer? Would you be the means in which God shadows with and covers me with his wings? Would you be the answer to that and redeem me? This is an important question that she asked Boaz as he wakes up in the middle of the night. How is he going to answer? And how he answers and how he responds is where we start to re- start to see the protecting work of the Redeemer. This is where we start to see the worthiness of Boaz as redeemer to protect and to watch over and to guard Ruth, the beloved. You see, her mother-in-law has already told Ruth, whatever he tells you to do, do it. In this moment right here, there is a lot of temptation, right? I mean, in our Americanized culture, I mean, we, we live in the... Do whatever feels right and and find the greatest pleasure that you can find in this world. And I mean, guys, if you're a single guy, imagine a girl that you love, that, that you desire, and that she desires you, is at the end of your bed, at the middle of the night, she's like, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Like, there's a lot of temptation in this moment. There's a lot of bad things that could have happened in this moment. But Boaz being a good, gracious redeemer, instead of manipulating her, instead of abusing her, instead of taking advantage of her in this moment, nobody else is around. It's the quiet of the night. It's got the starry skies. She desires me. I desire her. Instead of acting in that moment and taking advantage of her, instead he responds protecting her spiritually. He guards her purity. You see this? She says, "Will you, will you redeem me? Will you put your, your 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 wings over me?" And his first response in verse ten is a prayer. A prayer. May you be blessed by the Lord. He protects her. He guards her spiritually by guarding her purity. I mean. Anything could have happened in this moment. And he moves it to a prayer and to the Lord real fast, taking away the temptation. We're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the Lord. He looks basically at this moment and he's saying, let the, the morning dawn on your purity. And this is what he's doing. He's protecting her in this moment. He's guarding her. And he doesn't just guard her spiritually by protecting her purity. He also, also guards her physically. It's interesting, in verse 13, at the beginning of it, he's like, just stay here tonight. We're not going to do anything. There's purity here. I've prayed for you, but don't don't leave here tonight. Now, why is he doing that? Why is Boaz making that statement, stay here tonight? Once again, you got to think about what happened last week in chapter 2. You see, he told Ruth, don't go into other fields. Don't go and glean in other places because you don't have any friends or family around here. You're a foreigner in this place. And so people will abuse you. There's a good chance you could get kidnapped. There's people that will harm you and hurt you. And so stay in my field and my people will protect you and guard over you. That was during the daytime. (laughs) This is in the middle of the night now. And he looks at her in the middle of the night. He's like, okay, you're going to stay here. You're not going to walk home all dolled up. And where you've, you know, taken care of your hair and you put on your makeup and all those things. You're, you're not going to walk home like that. Instead, you're going to stay here tonight. But I don't want to just guard you physically where you won't get kidnapped. But at the same time, I want to guard your purity and your reputation. So the next morning, he gets up early and he's like, I want you to leave even before people would recognize you. Not because something happened here, but because nothing happened here. And I want to guard and protect your purity. And he is watching over her from every single angle because he really loves her. And cares for her. And I would just say men in the room, especially single men, do you you guard both physically and spiritually the woman in your life? Do you preserve her reputation? Do you care about her? And for the married men in the room, do we follow what we see in the New Testament where the ultimate picture of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we're given this picture of him dying on the cross for his bride, the church. In Ephesians, it says, love your bride as Christ loved the church. Are you guarding and protecting your wife? Not just if an intruder broke into your house at night, but are you guarding her from the words that you speak and the actions that you make? Are you guarding and protecting her? Are you loving her like the Redeemer does? Now, I've read this chapter, and some of you might think, Ryan, I still, so what? You got this story from ancient past. So what? And why did this matter to me today? And why did this matter to the people at this time? I mean, this is a short four-chapter book about how this woman, Ruth, meets this man, Boaz. Who cares? I mean, is this just a a, a, a romance novel at this time where people who are bored have something entertaining to read so they open up and they're like, oh, let's read Ruth. And this is just a book for women to read. Like, is that what the, the purpose of Ruth is? I mean... For us today, are we supposed to read the book of Ruth and be like, Oh, that's sweet. That's just a really kind romance book. That's that's so kind. Is that the point, the purpose of Ruth? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's a story within a story here. The people at this time, the, the Hebrew people, you see, they had been promised a Redeemer was going to come to rescue and to save them from their sins. Genesis chapter 3 had already given that promise that a Redeemer is going to come. They didn't know his name or what it would look like. And so they're trying to cling to this promise in the past and look for clarity in the future. And that's what the book of Ruth is. God's people would read the book of Ruth and say, yes, that is what a Redeemer should look like. A Redeemer should protect both spiritually and physically. Yes, that's, that's the kind of Redeemer that we desire and we long for and the one that we've been promised. And for us today, we we know that a Redeemer has come in Jesus Christ. And we look back saying, yes, this is how the Redeemer lives and functions. Yes, this is the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Every of these attributes that we see of this Redeemer. And so we look at this and we're like, Boaz, this picture protects? Yes, in the same way Jesus protects us. Now you might be thinking, how in the world does Jesus fulfill those things? I mean, how does Jesus protect us spiritually? We see Naomi and Ruth need most what you and I need most. And what Ruth really needed was not a redeemer just to rescue her from her earthly poverty or danger or even to give her a spouse. That's not ultimately what Ruth needed in this moment. Ruth needed a heavenly redeemer to rescue her from her sins it's the same for us you see we too our greatest need is not ultimately to to have more money or to have a better life or to avoid danger or to find a spouse it is to have a redeemer wash us from our sins and Jesus is that redeemer who came from heaven to earth in order to redeem us and to save us from our sin. This is how he's protecting us spiritually. He's protecting us from our sin. He's rescuing and redeeming us from that. The Bible tells us all who trust in him and who follow him, you were once enslaved to sin and now you are freed. You see, before we were redeemed by Christ, we were like a, a, a chain smoker who had lung cancer. We were addicted to the very thing that was killing us. And Jesus looks at us being addicted to our sin and we can't get out of it. He steps in to rescue and redeem us from the very thing we're addicted to. He pays our penalty and our debt for our sin in our place in order to protect us from our sin. In order to rescue us from the the debt that we had incurred. So he protects us spiritually. But Jesus being the true and better redeemer also protects us physically. And you might be thinking, how? How does he protect us physically? Because I've had broken bones. I've been sick. I've had a a really bad disease before. I've had all these things in my life. Yes, sickness and pain are great tragedies. But they are the appetizer. They're the appetizer of what's ahead of us. The main course for all of us is death. So yes, there's sickness and there's pain, but that leads to the main course of death. And what Jesus, the Redeemer, does is he rises from the grave and he defeats the grave. So the greatest thing that we're afraid of, more than sickness and pain, is death itself. He rescues us from that. That's what the Redeemer does. So the very thing we look at, we're like, physically, how are you going to protect me? Jesus is like, I've got that too. Spiritually, how are you going to forgive me for all these things? I've got that too. Through the cross and through the resurrection, he is the Redeemer. This is who Christ is. And so, yes, it matters to you and to me. Because we look at this story and we're like, yes, Boaz, he's a protector. But he is just a Redeemer. And Christ is the Redeemer who provides protection for us. But the Redeemer doesn't just provide protection. The second mark of the Redeemer we find in this passage is that the Redeemer shows grace on the Beloved. He doesn't just show grace. The Redeemer showers grace on the Beloved. We see this in multiple places here in Ruth chapter 3. Honestly, going back to Ruth chapter 2. But it talks about a redeemer in verse 12. Now, just catching us up a little bit on the redeemer. In order to be a redeemer, you had to have the right to redeem somebody. What that means is you had to be a relative of the family or connected to the family. I'm not talking about West Virginia-type connection to the family relative, okay, <laughs> redeeming. And no offense to West Virginia, it's a great place, love it. That's not what it's talking about there when it says that he's a, rede- or a relative, okay? You'll see here in a second when we get to it, it's, um, it's a different kind of connection on the relative side of things, you'll see. But you had to have the right to do it. Second, you had to have the resources to do it. You had to have the finances in order to have the ability to pay the redeeming price in order to redeem somebody. And then last, you had to have the resolve in order to redeem somebody. You had to have the the desire to do it. And though you might legally be bound at times to redeem, you could still reject that legal right, but you'd kind of be shamed to do that. Now, this is very important. Very, very important to understanding Ruth and understanding the Redeemer and, and what's going on in the works of the Redeemer and how he's showing grace in this moment. Deuteronomy chapter 25 talks about the legal side of how and why you would redeem somebody, okay? This is fascinating because what we find if we look at Deuteronomy 25 is that Boaz had no marital obligations to redeeming Ruth, none. Let me tell you why. Deuteronomy 25 describes redemption like this. It says that if a man is married to a woman and that man dies, his brother, his brother has the option of Marrying and looking after the widow, his brother. Now, you got to think about Ruth as a whole just here for a moment. Ruth's husband, Melion, we see in chapter one, is he the brother of Boaz? No. We see one other brother, and he died when they were in Moab as well. Her husband we know is Melion because in chapter 4, verse 10, it's going to tell us who her husband is. He is not the brother of Boaz. So legally, according to Deuteronomy, he has no legal responsibility to take her in and redeem her. He does not have to. He's not required to. Now he has the right to do it because he's related to their dad, Elimelech. Elimelech. somehow there's a family tree connection there and so legally he can do it but there's no obligation where he has to do it and why that matters why that matters to us is if he didn't have to do it then why did he do it And it's because he loved ruth he loved her and so he looks at this moment and a chance to redeem this woman that he loves and he says yes I will do it not because I'm chained by obligation and I have to redeem you, but because I love you. Because I love you. You see, this is what a real gracious redeemer does. He pours out his grace in this moment to say, I will redeem you even though it's not required of me. But he also showers grace on her because he gives to her generously. At the end of this chapter in verse 15 He knows, because he's a wise man, that he's got to get the mother-in-law in in if he's going to be able to redeem and to marry Ruth. And so he's like, hey, don't leave empty-handed. I'm going to give you six measures of barley. Now, last week, he gave her an uh, ephah of barley, which is about 30-ish pounds, or something like that, of of grain. And this time, he's going to give her six measures of barley to take back to his mother-in-law, which is about 80 to 90 pounds of grain. About three months of food. Okay, this is, this is generous. This is gracious in this moment that he would give her this kind of gift. And then I love verse 16. The end of verse 16. Honestly, I haven't been able to get over the last two words of verse 16 this week because I think it shows the grace of Boaz and ultimately the grace of God through all of this. At the end of verse 16, it says, For he told her, or she told her mother-in-law all that the man had done for her. Her mother-in-law wants to know how things went, how this whole interaction go with you asking to, him to redeem you. And Ruth comes back and looks at her and says, everything that he has done for her. Not to her. Although in the middle of the night in temptation, and he could have, not to her, not even in kindness with her. He did it for her. This is grace upon grace upon grace. There's nothing that Ruth did in this moment. All she did was come and beg, would you please redeem me? And then she comes back he's like, look at all the things that he has done for me. This is her hoping and trusting in the grace of the redeemer. Now, both of these points, both of these points, we have to see Christ in. You have to see Christ in. I mean, think about this. Jesus, as the ultimate redeemer, did not have to redeem you or me. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. There was no legal obligation where Jesus is like, well, I have to go and redeem these people. No, he redeems you and he redeems me because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but would have eternal life. He loves us, and so he's not bound by the law, of like, oh gosh, i got to go and I redeem him. No, he loves us, so he showers grace upon us by choosing to redeem us. Jesus was not a victim to the circumstances of the cross when he died. He was not a victim to the Roman government or the Pharisees at that time that he— Was a poor weak man that died on a cross because he couldn't control things and he was a victim. No, when the people go to arrest Jesus, they say, Who's Jesus? Where is Jesus in Nazareth? And he responds and says, I am he. And everybody fell on the ground, fell on their face, just with them speaking in that moment. (laughs) They didn't arrest him, he let them take him because he wanted to redeem us. Jesus even tells his disciples, hey, I could call on on angels to come down and to rescue me and to save me from this horrendous moment, but I'm not doing it. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me and he wants to rescue and redeem us. But that redemption costs Jesus a lot. You see, Jesus gave, Boaz gave some grain and a little bit of money here. Jesus gave his life. He gave his life. It might have cost Boaz some money. It cost Jesus everything. You see, in order to supply our deepest need, our forgiveness of our sin and our redemption, the, the living one, the eternal one, tasted death in our place. He did. The sinless one became sin. He was made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God and be redeemed. Why? Because of His great grace and His great love. And so, two applications for the redeemed. Two applications for the redeemed in this. One, let us be captivated by the mysterious redemption. Let us be captivated by the mystery of the redeeming work of Jesus. Why would Jesus do all these things? Why would he give up all that he had to rescue us? Why would the innocent die for the guilty? It's a beautiful mystery. It's the whole reason we lifted up our voices singing that song earlier, Come Behold This Wondrous Mystery. It is a mystery why God would die for sinful man, why the innocent would die for the guilty. Jesus lives, he dies, he raises himself from the grave in order to give us the gift of redemption so that we can have a relationship with him. Because of his great grace and his great love. So w- may we never lose the wonder of redemption in our life if we've been saved by Jesus Christ. And second application for the redeemed is this let us be compelled to the ministry of redemption. Be compelled to the ministry of redemption. Not in a day, not in a year, not in three years from now. Let us be compelled today, and not by guilt. Not like, oh, well, Jesus died, so I guess I have to go serve him. No, 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 out of love. The one who gave his life and first loved us, now let's love him and love others in response. Let's reflect the Redeemer by looking at a broken world and working to redeem a broken world. By looking to those who are running and are far away from God addicted to their sin and let us share the good news of redemption with them. For the first time or the hundredth time, may we be faithful to share this good news of redemption. You see, if we lose the wonder of redemption and what it's done in our heart and our life, then we will never share it with anybody else. We'll never be compelled to the ministry of redemption. And so may we be captivated by this mystery of redemption. And then may we be compelled to move forward with our thoughts, and with our prayers, and with our finances, and with our time to bring about redemption in others' lives. This is what we're running forward as a church, that we at West Cabarrus Church would be a part of a ministry of redemption to a lost and hurt and broken world. But I would challenge you as an individual to look at your life personally how are you living out this ministry of redemption reflecting your redeemer Jesus Christ and because we as a church have this heartbeat that's the heartbeat of God this heartbeat of redemption then let me ask you if you are not redeemed do you know the redeeming love of God have you responded to Jesus by giving your life to him disfigured as your life may be by sin and shame and guilt, Jesus loves you. And he knows you to the depths of your heart, and he loves you the same. And so would you come to him with your sin and with your brokenness and know that he will redeem you. He will redeem you. The invitation is open. Come. Know with confidence that Christ will welcome you. Be redeemed today. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we thank you that you are the Redeemer who protects us. God, you protect us from our sin and the very thing that would enchain us and lead us to death and despair and destruction. Lord, you have come to rescue us from that, protect us from that and then ultimately protect us from one of the greatest fears of our life, death itself, by conquering death and defeating the grave so that we can have hope that it doesn't end in this life. But Lord, you've given us eternal life through your work on the cross and through the grave of resurrection. God, thank you. But thank you also for showering your grace down on us. Lord, you weren't obligated to rescue and redeem us. You chose to do that. You could have stopped it at any moment. You weren't a victim of the cross, Lord. You chose to lay down your life to rescue and redeem. And so thank you for that, God. Thank you for all that you have done for us. All that you've done for us. And Lord, I thank you for the the saving work that you have done in this church this last year, if you rescued and redeemed people? And I pray today for those that are watching online or those that are in this room that they would take that step forward to trust in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in their place, knowing that they are loved and they can be forgiven. God, would you rescue and redeem even in this moment today? And Lord, as we remember you, the gracious Redeemer, may we stand in wonder of that grace. May we be moved as believers. May we be compelled to a ministry of redemption, to the glory of your great name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you.